Podcasting from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome back, Soberholics. Today in studio, we have a special guest, Neil Fuller, who is the director of Celebrate Recoveries of the Northwest Conference of the United Methodist Church. Neil also serves as the direct executive director of Working United Incorporated. How are you doing today, Neil? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you should trademark that word, man. You always say it. Oh, they already told me it's going to be on my tombstone one day. So you also go by Cowboy, too. I hear that a lot for people uh, yes, who know you. Yes, sir. Always have been many years. Um, just grew up in that mentality, and my grandfather loved the horses, and, of course, he loved it in a negative way. But um, I turned it into a positive. It's just kind of a – I stuck by that that look or that trademark. And everybody you. sees a white cowboy hat, and they say, yep, that must be him coming up. <laughs> hey, and you fit right in here because we always talk about how redneck we sound on here. And so um, I don't think you sound as redneck as us, but maybe you've got the appearance with a hat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then once we get to talking and everything, you'll be like, oh, no, he's redneck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's pretty cool today to have you in here. You know, you and I have been friends for a long time, yes. um, and we got to know each other through Celebrate Recovery. and. You know, and we've got to see our recoveries together and, and how they work. And I know here recently you've kind of faced a big deal. I talk about a lot on the show about me having an amputated uh, right hand. And you kind of faced some of that here recently, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. Um, we turned around and ended up, I did, ended up with uh, a cancer. I can't pronounce the name, but it's a skin <laughs> cancer. Right. And um, I ignored it, you know, how I. Me being an addict, I turn around and think I can fix everything, and it ain't no biggie and no problem. So I ignored it. It started in August of last year. Finally, I went to the doctor emergency room in November and um, told him to pop it, do something. I thought maybe it was a spider bite or something. Um, and the doctor looked at it, and he said, no way. I am not touching that, and sent me to a specialist. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any uh, medical insurance or anything, so... Went in there, got the money together they told me to get, seen the doctor. He knew exactly what it was, and um, he turned around and named the Big C. Mm. And I just kind of sat there for a minute, and uh, I was like, this happens to everybody else. It don't happen to me. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm you know good shape and everything. So, you know, what is this? So um, we turned around and got in touch with the tumor board. There's some new medications out there. So I was a guinea pig. Well. I was just one of many that uh, tried this cream, and um, I just made the comment to him point blank. I said, well, I have no medical insurance, so I guess I got to die. And he said, no, 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 hold on a minute. Let's look at this. And uh, so we came up with the game plan and everything and um, did the cream and went to the tumor boards and all, uh, trying to save the finger. It was my first index finger on my left hand. I had to look, see my wedding band there. Uh, on my left hand. That's how we do our kids, but when you see the L. The- yes. yeah. So uh, I turned around my index finger on my left hand and finally um, came to the conclusion we had to remove the finger. And um, so we did what we had to do. Uh, March 22nd is when we actually cut the finger off. Hey, that's my birthday. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> awesome. So we turned around and got the finger removed. And then um, 
it's been a struggle. It's I've reached out to you quite right. a few times asking, you know, hey, I'm having some crazy thoughts. I'm, uh, you know, what's going on? What do I got to do? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm having a lot of different feelings and, um, you talked me a lot and, um, uh, helped me through those times and everything. And so now I kind of look at it on the funny side, but I also have to be very careful. <laughs> hey, you got to tell about the story that we were talking about the other day. I mean, cause you can't make this kind of stuff. No, up. you can't. You're right. <laughs> you are right. You cannot script this. All right. So one of my issues in recovery, celebrate recovery is, uh, anger issues, road rage, and uh, so I've been dealing with it, working with it, getting much, much better at it. All right. I do have control issues, so I'm always the driver. And uh, me and wife go anywhere. I always drive. So anyways, uh, work on that. But anyways, this gentleman was tailgating me. And I was trying to get out of the way, trying to get, you know, we're doing 70, 80 miles an hour. And I'm just, I just, I just want to get out of the way so he can get off my tail because I don't like people tailgating me. And uh, so finally, we get an open, open around everybody and get open and everything. So I wave him around, you know, like, come on, hurry up. You want to go? Yo, get around me. <laughs> All right. So that was my mindset. And that was my mentality. Right. Just hurry up and get around me. So right. you get off my tail. Well, <laughs> as he went by, I was wanting to give him the peace sign. So I turned around <laughs> and stuck up what I thought was two fingers. But since that finger is not there on the left hand anymore, he didn't see that invisible finger. So he went around. He got in front of me, slammed on his brakes. He's all mad, and I'm trying to figure out, why is he mad? And the wife turned around looks at me and says, you only have one finger on that hand. I'm you know, like, for oh. our listeners right now, they're, they're really not getting what we see right now because if you look, take your hand and you was to put the peace sign up and you was to take your pointer finger down, exactly. that is the finger you gave him trying to give him the, the peace sign. Exactly right. So I'm like, well, I was mad and I'm trying to figure out. My wife tells me and I'm like, oh, man, I feel so bad. I didn't want to do that. Uh, so if he, this guy happens to be listening, I'm sorry, and please accept my apology. I was really trying to give you the peace sign of love, <laughs> not the middle thing. That's great, man. And, you know, um, not to make light of anything, because I know our, our listeners, they have different struggles, of just like you and I have, yeah. of trying to go through that. I know for me to lose my hand, it was like losing a child. I mean, yes. you don't just lose that and not grieve through it. And for me personally, and some of the things I've told you, for me to go through that and find laughter again, it was hard for me to do that for a while. And it's really cool to see you able to to be able to do that. And, you know, it's just knowing that you're working through those things. And the gift I had, and I believe the same gift you had, is that because you've been in recovery for some time now, you've been using these 12 steps in your life. and. In its own way, you've been able to work through that grief of losing uh, a finger, you know, in in your own recovery and and figure out the steps to do that. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into recovery? What, you know, just, I know for you, you've been in recovery, what, 25 years now? Yes. So there's a lot to unpack there. But so, but just in a nutshell, over a few minutes, could you tell us, you know, how you got here, what happened, and you know what 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 your life looks like now? Absolutely. Uh, of course, I always start off. My name is Neil, believer in Jesus Christ, and grateful recovery addict. Right. Hey, Neil. Neil. <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically, I, I came from a middle class family. Both my parents were factory workers, made good money. Uh, we went to decent schools. Uh, some incidents happened when I was a young child uh, that I was hurt uh, by others, and then um, started trying to uh, drown that pain. 
uh, started off with anger and getting in trouble and causing trouble with other people. Um, also, I was uh, first the oldest child of four. And then my dad, my parents got divorced and my dad got remarried and then brought three more. So now wanting to be an only child, I am the farthest from being an only child. So uh, then I got into the drugs and went down in Sanity Road, uh, down to the pits of hell, basically. And two and a half years living on the streets, eating out dumpsters in St. Louis, Missouri. No fun. And then uh, finally I met a lady and uh, she actually had recovery. She was had seven years in recovery and relapsed for two months and met me during that time. And uh, there was a connection. This woman seemed to be a little bit different than all the ones I've ever had in my life. Um, so I turned around and we got connected and she helped me get a job where she was working. And then she went to rehab. I'm like, what's up with this, man? <laughs> <laughs> so she got, she got clean and everything came out of rehab. We got married. Insanity is fullest, right? So right. we got married as soon as she got out of rehab. Well, I supported her at her meetings for a whole entire year. Uh, I wouldn't say nothing. Everybody knew my name, but I wouldn't say nothing. Nope. Just sit there because we had to hurry up. And we got done with this meeting for me to be involved in my pool tournaments and because I play pool and all this and that. So she just had to shut up. Whenever it started getting close to time to leave and she wanted to talk, I'd be like, no. And I'd slap her on the legs. <laughs> so so you supported her. Uh, I supported you, you her. You didn't yeah. really have nothing to no, do with it. No, I didn't have you no just, issues. Yeah. Finally, a year later, I was way out there on a bunch of stuff, everything I could get, and uh, just totally insane and out of my mind. We were driving, going from one place to another, and Interstate 55 uh, through Festus, Crystal City, Missouri, and um, got mad. I wasn't driving. Somebody else was driving, thank goodness. Um, and I got mad, opened the door, and jumped out. And when I did, we happened to be on an overpass, and I bounced and landed on the highway below, <laughs> face down. Uh, they stopped. They said they told me that they had stopped at the end of the uh, off ramp there, and went to look on the bridge and see where I was. They just knew I was going to be splattered, and uh, didn't want to call the cops. So they see me laying down there, not moving. They went down and finally found their way down there, and I was gone. Rational it, thinking literally went out the window. With yeah, you were <laughs> absolutely right. And uh, what happened when they turned around and got in their car, come trying to get down there to where I was? Um, I had turned around and got up, looked around. There wasn't a scratch or a fingernail broke, and I took off through the woods and got home before they did and wow. passed out. Then I woke up that next morning or whatever it was, a few hours, and uh, first thing I said was, God, I need to get some help. Hmm. And so they admitted me into the Aquinas Center, which is a state-funded recovery facility in uh, Farmington, uh, Missouri. Spent 18 days. And signed myself out and uh, said, yep, I've got it. And here's the difference between the some of the mentality now and the mentality I had back then. Remember, I supported my wife for a whole entire year at her NA meetings. And so I heard everything that was going on at the tables. Right. I just wasn't interacting with it. You knew the recovery language. Exactly yeah. right. And I knew what it would take to stay on the recovery path. Mm. So I was set on the path to do it. And another thing I've heard you say is that, you know, when you say, God, I need help at that point in your life, you didn't really know who God was. No, I didn't know who God was, but also uh, I was mad at God. What I did know of him, I didn't want no part of him. 
So I tried to find a higher power because my sponsor said, you know, you need to get a higher power. Well, great. When you're a self-centered, selfish person, who is that higher power? That would be me. <laughs> right? Good boy. <laughs> so he turned around and said, all right, let me ask you. He says, I could not, I could not uh, comprehend uh, a doorknob or something like that being my higher power. Here's the reason why. Um, I'm a pull yourself up by your own bootstrap kind of person. So I knew I could take that door handle. You know, does that make sense? Didn't stand a chance, did it? <laughs> no, I, I could take it. You know what I'm saying? So, so my sponsor asked me, he says, all right, Neil, he says, then try to seriously think, what do you love more than anything on this earth besides yourself? Because he knew my self-centered problem. And I said, that would be music. And he says, really? I said, man, I love music. I love listening. I love singing. I love just anything to do it. I am going to be the next Hank Jr., 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 Kid Rock Jr., right? Um, and he says, great. He says, let me make a suggestion to you. He says, do you have any – now, remember, guys, we're older than most people now, right? Do you have any cassettes? Does anybody remember them? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So we had cassettes back then, and this is 1993. So I had all of Hank Williams Jr.'s vinyl records, 45s. Uh, cassettes, and now I've progressed into today I have all the CDs. And uh, so I used Hank Williams Jr. as my higher power, his music. So every time my sponsor told me, every time you feel like using, then do nothing but put in those cassettes and sing every song until that passion goes away or that that desire goes away. And so I said, all right, I can do that because I love to sing. Why not? So every time that I would feel like I'm – on that edge, I'm getting ready to go out. I have a picture of Hank Williams Jr. and his wife and his youngest daughter and hanging on my wall. I have it in my office today. And I would look at it because he looked like my dad. Mm. And this, my dad had the same shirt. I remember when I was younger, the same color cowboy hat and everything. So I would look at that picture because my dad didn't want anything to do with me no more. He done cut me off. And so I would look at that picture and I'd say, you know what? As soon as I get done singing all these songs, I'm going out there to tie one on. And I would sing all these songs with all my energy, all my everything I had in me. And by the time it left, it was either time to go to a meeting or it was time to go to work or it's time to lay down and go to sleep. It was never time to relapse. And so it was N.A. you got your start. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it all started from this ex-wife, basically, when you were going to support her. Oh, yeah. Is where you first kind of got your eyes open to it. Absolutely. God put her in my life for a season and a reason. And that season and reason was to find sobriety. Right. Because nobody else could have connected to me and never did in my past. Any other person, no other human being had ever said anything about recovery life. So, I thought I was destined to do what I was doing. And so that sponsor took you through the steps through NA. Yes. And then uh, um, I know just from 25 years of sobriety, that stuck with you. And you made your way down here to Alabama somehow or another to, yeah. to the job you work at now, or the, maybe where you serve at, I guess, would maybe be a better way of saying that, seeing how you're involved in ministry now. But um, how did you get involved with CR? Uh, well, that's funny. Um does anybody else like to give their opinion about something? Uh, I, yeah. We started a podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we turn around and uh, I was going to church. I searched for two years to try to find a home church down here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. 
I uh, came from Muscle Shoals of Florence, and I was in the music business up there. Come down here. God led me down here, uh, thinking and expecting to go to work at a big plant down there and make some big money, and I'm going to have everything I ever wanted or needed. Well, God has a sense of humor, and he will step back and let you stumble if that's what you need to learn. So I did, and uh, was released from that job, and I searched and searched. But for two years, I searched for a church. I got everything from people not speaking to me to one Sunday I walked into the church building. It was a big, prominent church. I walked in the front doors, and because I wasn't dressed like your church people, they walked up to me and said, excuse me, sir, we don't give out food on Sundays. Mm. I said, what? Wow. And they said, we don't give out food on Sundays, and they walked me to the door. Well, me and my attitude, I guess I had, (laughs) I just kept on walking and went to the truck. Went to the next church Sunday. Finally walked into Hargrove United Methodist Church. And I said, um, uh, the guy was awesome. He just introduced me to everybody, got me a cup of coffee, made me feel at home. And then he turned around and talked about the preacher, and I got to listen to his message and everything. But after the church service, I said, do you guys have a Sunday school for people like me? He kind of looked at me strange. He said, what do you mean by people like you? I said, well, I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Uh, I have a love for Jesus Christ. So I want to get to know more about Jesus Christ and his love for me, but I also want to keep my recovery. And he says, no, but I got a guy that you need to meet. So they handed me the leader's guy to celebrate recovery. We met, had lunch, and he gave me the leader's guy, and he said, read this and tell us what you think. I love giving my opinion about things <laughs> and people. No, um, <laughs> I'm working on that issue, right? Anyway, so uh, I read the whole thing, the whole entire book in two weeks. I couldn't put it down. My lunch breaks, everything, I could not put that book down. And I said, you know what? This is what I need. Because I've been working. I, by this time, I already had 10 years sober. Um, finally, I met Jesus Christ. Uh, my 10-year sobriety in 2003, I finally met Jesus Christ. And um, God just has a way of doing that to where he leads you in that direction. And uh, But I was feeling this emptiness. There was a hole. I'm doing my steps. I'm working my program. But there's this, am I really a recovering? Am I really an addict? Or maybe I'm not. Uh, I was just having this empty hole. And, I, and Hank Jr. couldn't feel it no more. I love the man, but he just couldn't <laughs> feel it no more, right? And so this timing came at a perfect time. And he handed me this book and I read it. And so I went back to my church and I said, great, you guys need to start this program. Well, my pastor looked at me and said, no, we don't. You do. I'm like, yeah, right. I've never led a Sunday school class. How am I going to do a ministry? And uh, so they helped me. The pastor helped me get the ministry started and launch it. And then um, finally years went on. And uh, recently, uh, four years ago, I went to the DS, that's the uh, district superintendent in our area, and I went and told him that we need to celebrate recovery in every single United Methodist church. And he said, why? After an hour of talking, he shut me up. He says, we'll see. I said, okay. (laughs) I walked out of there thinking, well, at least I told the man what I thought. (laughs) And uh, so he called me about – You gave him your opinion. (laughs) Exactly right. So he turned around and called me about uh, two months later. Now, by this time, I had already lost my good-paying job. My wife and I had lost everything we owned. I lost all seven vehicles. I had a limousine, bunch of cars. We had a house, three acres. Hey, we were living on top of the world. And then we lost it all. Everything. 
ended up living in a camper in a campground uh, for 18 months. Could not get a job. Was blackballed from every every job. I couldn't even get a job at McDonald's. Hmm. Uh, so I spent 18 months on my knees, but also serving other people. So I started, I used our savings that we had and started serving other people, taking them to jobs, taking them to work, picking them up from work, bringing them home. And I, I had about 15, 20 guys that I was just constantly driving all the time. I'd take a nap when I could take a nap in between all their different jobs. And then God opened this door. He called me a couple months later. And then um, we opened this door for the Methodist Church to start Celebrate Recoveries. So now you do that full time. I do that full time. And the conference has grabbed a hold of it and said, you know what? If there is anything like a church, what we should be as church people, Celebrate Recovery is it. Now, we put people in position to be able to do that. Why do you think in the church having a ministry like Celebrate Recovery is so needed and so important? Uh, because people like me didn't, we were terrified and scared to death of the church building. Well, I, I'd been hurt by church people. Um, they might have been good-meaning people and uh, and had their right intentions or the different things, but point blank, I was scared to death of the church. So when Celebrate Recovery came along, all of a sudden it's not on Sunday afternoon, right? When all the three suits or three piece suit people are there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's on a, on a Tuesday night or a Sunday night or a, or a, a Wednesday or a Thursday night or things like that. So it's off the main service time. Uh, but also everybody that's coming to celebrate recovery, whether it's church members, which there are a bunch of them that are coming there to work on their hurts, habits, or hangups, but it's also people like me that's coming in seeking Christ, wanting a closer relationship, but don't want to dress in a three-piece suit to show up. I can just come as me. It's funny you say that, that there are church people that come oh, to, yeah. the, to those because I've noticed from my time around different CR meetings is that usually when one will start, uh, a CR meeting starts, that you'll get some outsiders that come in and the church people in that church are kind of tested to see, oh, I'm going to help those people or whatever. Then they realize that it's it's safe for them to talk about their problems there too. Absolutely. And here's the biggest thing that I've been promoting or talking to people about the most, especially when I go preach about Celebrate Recovery on a Sunday morning. So I've got all the suits out there. I call them suits. I don't mean to pick on you people, but anyway. <laughs> uh, you're good people. I'm just, I'm not, I don't never wear a suit. And I'm supposed to probably, but I don't. Anyways. <laughs> When I, the biggest thing is I turn, here's what I tell everybody. When I walk in, I say, okay, I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but tomorrow morning, it's already been on some selective sites that people know about, but tomorrow morning, the government has banded and they already have a band of teams that's going across the United States of America and is removing coffee. <laughs> if you're caught making coffee, you're going to jail. I'd be in jail so fast. Right. See, all of a sudden everybody's like, what? You serious? Now, anything that we put before anything else. So coffee is now banned. That means that you now are an addict. Am I right? You could be addicted to the caffeine. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So, I mean, it's a habit, right. right? It is. All right. So now we realize, oh, wait a minute. I, I need that just as much as somebody else does. Because, and also, I turn around and tell this, how many of us get up first thing in the morning and either get that cup of coffee 
or we go to the bathroom first. First thing. Well, there's a problem with that, and I'm going to start preaching. (laughs) If you do that, you have put that before God. All right. That's one of the reasons we started the podcast here is because, you know, um, there's just so much more hurts, habits, and hangups than drugs and alcohol. Now, we try to try to classify them as if this addiction is bigger than this addiction, but it is simply what are we putting before God? And I think if we look into our lives, we can see that in many areas. Even me in recovery now, I still see where I do that. Yep. And also, here's what my wife and I, we kind of do this together, and we travel across the state of Alabama. Here's the one thing I, I make sure that everybody understands. My wife struggles with uh, depression. All right. So was my addiction worse than her depression? Because her depression could potentially lead her to what? Suicide or death. My addiction, if I continued on, was going to put me where? Death. So my addiction is no more stronger, worse, powerful, whatever than her depression. It both ended in death. So when we turn around and understand that Celebrate Recovery is helping us all work with the end result, which is either spiritual death or physical death, then there's one place to go. And my vision for the last four years has been, I want to celebrate recovery meeting seven days a week. And look, can I give you a little story about an incident about that? Sure. So me and a guy were, I'd always take guys with me to go to different CRs and stuff all over. And we're coming back to Tuscaloosa, went a, a good ways, about an hour away to go to CR. We're coming back home, and there's a storm coming into Tuscaloosa, okay? And we're already getting reports. It's going to be bad. It's going to be nasty. And I looked at my buddy, and I said, look, we better haul butt to make sure we get home and we don't get hit by that storm. And so he said, yeah. So we're going on. We get almost into town. We outran the storm. How? I have no idea. I do know. But anyways, I said, <laughs> I said, man, buddy. It's a miracle. We, we outran the storm, and, and that's a miracle, and we're almost home. He says, no, Neil. He says, you know what's a miracle? And I said, well, I thought that was. And he said, no, we got to worship Jesus Christ seven days this week. That's a miracle. And all of a sudden, it hit me. It's like, wow, we don't even have church members on Sunday morning that could worship Jesus Christ seven days a week. And he felt like that was a miracle in his life. That's good stuff. What elements from celebrate recovery do you think that the larger church you know could benefit from implementing say that again what what things from celebrate recovery do you think that the church should be better about doing things like celebrate recovery to, like one thing i think about is just the honesty that's in celebrate recovery where you know we're just all broken yeah. And we're in, in, in a larger church setting. A lot of times, you know, we, we like to act like we have it all together. Absolutely. So this is my passion is uh, the average. I We have a lot of grandmothers that are coming to celebrate recovery. And their biggest issue is codependency. They uh, and parents, mm-hmm. uh, older parents. Here's here's what. And this is going to get me on another tangent, but <laughs> I'll keep it short. We are enabling our children to death. Let me repeat that. We are enabling our children to death because we are not 
getting them connected. If we learn about recovery, I always tell my people when the parent calls me, well, you need to help my son. Well, all right, let's start with you. Mm. Well, why are you starting with me? <laughs> well, because he's your son. Yeah. And that's probably where it started from. You know, and I sat down, I've had a ton of interventions with, I sit down with the parents as well as the child. And we're talking about 30, 40 year old children here. We're not talking about teenagers. We're talking about children, uh, you know, 30, 40 years old. And I say, okay, so let me ask you, uh, are you uh, paying his bills? Are you doing anything? Are you helping him? And how are you helping him? And they start listing their ways. And I said, well, have you acknowledged, I'll look at the son or the person. I say, um, are you grateful for that? Well, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, have you used that? Well, kind of sort of in a way. Okay, so when are you going to cut him off so he'll turn around and depend on himself? I mean, we have to get real. Yeah. We're enabling our children to have. So the churches, I love church, okay? Believe me, I'm a part of it big time. But sometimes we're enabling as church members. Instead of actually going to celebrate recovery, learning and realizing what is all the issues, what is addiction, if we actually, if all the church members would actually go through the 12 steps, then they could turn around and do step 12 at a much greater level. Could they not? Which leads me to this question. We ask all of our guests, what what is your favorite step? And I believe I know what you're going to say here. Well, yeah, I love step 12, but step three. Step three. Okay, here, here's where step three changed my life. Because you have to remember, Hank Jr. was my higher power, right? Mm-hmm. So when step three, especially in Celebrate Recovery, uh, came to believe that a higher power greater than myself, which is Jesus Christ, I surrendered, I submitted. This is the one time where I actually quit and I'm winning. Hey Amen, that's good. Because I, I know for me, and we've talked about it a time or two on the show, but if if all I got was sobriety, then I would have been short because there's more than just getting sober. There's more than just, you know, getting back on a, a good diet plan or whatever. There There's the relationship with Christ. And so that I take for eternity. And so... You know, and sobriety is not salvation. And so many times we mix that. You can put all your hope into Hank Williams Jr., mm-hmm. but Hank ain't going to save you. No, no. He doesn't have a clue who I am. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I love about also my, when, when I came to Christ, they turn around and, and celebrate recovery. It's really expanded on this and helped me understand. All right. So I, I coined the phrase, or I use the phrase a lot, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, some of my old uh, recovery people will turn around and say, you don't need to be doing that, da, da, da. But here's what I did know. I did not have any faith whatsoever. Well, the only way I could get it is to say, okay, God, if you're real, then talk to me. Okay, God, if you're, I had to fake it until actually he started answering. When he started answering, now my faith is starting to grow. Now, I, so now I, I'm making it. I haven't made it, but I'm making it. But also you, you brought up a good point that I like people to understand also is I know a lot of people that got sober and they are just miserable old people because they never worked on themselves of why they became alcoholics. So you're right. There's a difference between staying sober and actually living a recovery life. If you would have told me that I would be in recovery and I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I'd say, you're insane, buddy. I just, <laughs> I'm just going to make a lot of money. I'm going to sing and I'll stay sober and sing and I'll do 
There's no way I would have ever done this. But because I was working on myself through the 12-step program, whether it's any program, it doesn't have to be just CR, but any program, working the actual steps meant that I was working on me. I wasn't fixing anybody else. I was working on me to become a better human being here on earth to become a productive member of society. People that just sober up and don't work any program, well, you're going to get what you've always got. And then the 12 steps also, you know, we think it's like a model for discipleship too. Oh, yes. And that not only you you got to work on yourself, but you got the benefits of the 12 steps helping you to become more like Christ in the process. Absolutely. And that is it's that was one of the reasons that the Methodists had grabbed a hold of this because we we uh in our Methodists our saying is uh discover, develop and deploy. So we discover people when they come into our program, we develop them by walking this walk of recovery with them and then becoming sponsors to them and then so and then we deploy them out, send them out. So my sponsor, 23 years ago, 25 years ago, started this walk of discipling me. Basically, even though I wasn't a believer in Christ, I wasn't a believer in none of that stuff, he started discipling me or mentoring me. We could use that word. He started mentoring me in the walk of recovery. Uh, did he ever expect that he was going to end up mentoring somebody that would have te- turned around in a few years over the 25 years affect? Thousands of lives, mm-hmm. which in return has mentored or discipled thousands of people. Well, now I'll tell you, I'm grateful for men like you because I, I've seen your heart just about driving those people around and, and going around and helping other people start these different CR uh, meetings in their areas all throughout the state. And, and I, I just believe you've never said this, but I just know you in your heart that hopefully that through your actions or or the things the way you serve is that you can help change the mindsets of some churches that would go you know our food ministry is not today you know Mm -hmm. and just to come as you are because i believe that's what the church really is oh absolutely is you know to come it's not about putting your sunday best on it's about coming and taking your mask off and being real absolutely and that's the biggest fear that a lot of churches have when they sit down and talk with me is okay. And I've had churches and, and I love them still. But after I get done explaining to them the type of people that's probably going to come in and start, you know, celebrate recovery with them, uh, are this and this and this and this. Those people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I start naming off what they've done and what, you know, what's, you know, what's possible, what's all the type of people. Then all of a sudden they look at me and say, Oh, no, we, we, we can't have those people come in. And I understand it. It's not for every church, but for a church that is seeking some way not to enable, you know, like the food pantries. I mean, the food pantries are great, but let's put some criteria on there. Mm-hmm. Let's quit doing the Band-Aid thing and let's start doing the fixing thing, which is leading them into a program or 12 steps to actually move them forward. So six months from now, they're supplying their own food. In fact, they're turning around and giving other families food. Give them a hand up rather than a hand out. I mean, that's where we need we. And don't get me on that pageant. All right, I won't preach there. <laughs> but yeah, I just um, you know, I'm grateful for you, man. I really am, and our friendships. I mean, even you and I, we we've had our ups and downs. Oh, absolutely. And, but that's that to me. That's what this recovery thing shows us that we're not always going to be best friends all the time. We're going to have arguments. We're going to have differences, but because of our love for one another and what our what Jesus has taught us through these principles 
that we can overcome those things. Absolutely. And and that's what I and I've learned a lot. And ninety percent of the problems that you like you and I have had has been me um really honestly, truly not understanding to have more of an open mind. I'm glad to see you saw that you're the problem. Here. Yes, sir. I am. <laughs> I agree to it, man. But I mean it's a work in progress. We've been we've been friends for a long time. And by me still working my program, still working my 12 steps every single year, I have come to the conclusion there's some things that I need to back off and I need to be loose, more loose with. I need to be more open-minded with. So if, if, if I'm not growing, then I'm not going to help anybody. So I, I personally have to keep on growing. I personally have to keep on working on me. I'll keep on working on me until Jesus calls me home. It, it's just... I am sick and tired of burying people. Hmm. I'm sorry. I am. I'm just sick and tired of burying people. And if I know somebody's in recovery, you're a part of my family. Whether you're a recovery for one day, six days, 50 years, you're part of my family. And I'm sick and tired of burying people because we don't have something like this to be able to reach out to them. We don't have something like a celebrate recovery in town where they can go find some hope. Hmm. Um, I'm I'm just sick and tired of burying people. That's true. That, that happens um, in, in your line of work and, and just in recovery in general. We see that more than we want to say that we see it. And even though sometimes we try as hard as we can, just some people are just not willing to receive it. And I mean, I know between the three of us sitting here, we know that it's possible because we were those people. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's that person's decision to, to want to change. Um, I can't make your kid change. You right. can't make my kids change. And that's a hard place to be in. And I know, um, as you was talking about the codependency, cause it looks a lot like Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one man mentioned to me about, you know, we just got to learn how to raise the bar. Uh, or raise the bottom. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. We've got to learn how to raise the bottom. And sometimes it's, it's stop enabling them to let them feel the bottom that they've got to hit. Absolutely. So that they can say something's got to change. Absolutely. Well, Neil, I think that's going to kind of wrap this up for us today. Um, we could talk for hours about this. No but, doubt. Um, I forgot we were doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoyed hearing your, your story. I mean, even after you know being sober for a little while, I love hearing a, a testimony of what God has done in somebody's life and, and the restoration that they brought. I, I was like, oh, yeah, we're actually doing a podcast here. <laughs> um, Neil, is there any way that, that you'd like to give an email or something out for people to reach you? Is there a good oh, way absolutely. for people to reach you? Um, I keep it pretty simple. Neil, N-E-A-L, Fuller, F-U-L-L-E-R, C-R, like Celebrate Recovery, at gmail.com. Uh, of course, my phone is all over the world, so you could call it area code 205-242-2505. I ain't got a problem with that. All right, man. Well, awesome. I used your word. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, buddy. We thank you for coming on and being with us. And with all that, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.